Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. You know, listeners, I try to interview an eclectic array of of guests who have different jobs and careers and who may have very different approaches to achieving employment success because success is not a one size fits all. What may be success for one person may not be success for someone else. So my guest today is Anne Pritzi, who is an investment broker. Now, don't get it twisted. Anne's not here to give financial advice. Rather, I want her to share her employment journey with you, my listeners. I want her to tell you how she chose her path, what made her choose her path, what she likes about it, what she dislikes about it, what she sees in her employment future. So just hearing Anne talk about her employment choices, and what she does for a living may ignite a fire in a listener and may take them down a path that they may not have otherwise considered. And that's one of the things that I want to do. I want to give people information to help them make informed decisions about employment paths they might consider taking Uh, how to follow their passion if that's what they choose to do. All of this is part of my grand plan. But now let me welcome my guest, Anne Pritzi. Hello there. How are you? Hi, Anne. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Where did you go to school? What did you study? How did you get from point A to point B? Okay. Um, well, first of all, I'm just going to say I'm a vice president at National Securities Corp. We are a member of FINRA and CIPIC. And now, also, CIPIC. Our, our listeners may not know what FINRA and CIPIC are. Oh, okay. So those are our financial industry regulators, basically FINRA and CIPIC is um, also an insurance company that backs brokerage firms. Right. Now, FINRA is, I think it's Financial Industry um, Regulatory Authority. Right. That's right. Your industry. Right. Watchdog. 
That's right. That's right. And I'm also a registered investment advisor with the SEC. And the SEC is the Securities and Exchange Commission. That's right. Sorry. No, that's all right. There, see, there, the nomenclature, all those abbreviations are second nature to you. Right. But for the uninitiated, they may not know what it means and may want to look it up. You know, they may want to get more information about what they hear from you today. And I want to try to make it as easy for them as I can. Perfect. Thank you. No problem. Well, so I've been in the securities industry since 1983 when I graduated college. I graduated Mars County Community College with an associate's in applied science. I took business courses and I also took secretarial courses. Because at 20, I thought I'd probably get married and have kids and not work. (laughs) 37 years later, I'm still working. I did get married, have kids and all that, but just kept working. So when I graduated, I actually worked with an agency. It was called Pat Shea out of Parsippany. And they found jobs for secretaries. So I interviewed at different places. And one of the interviews, which led to where my career started, was Shearson Lehman American Express. They were hiring sales assistants. And, you know, I had no experience in the brokerage industry, knew nothing about it. I even told the manager, I don't think you want to hire me because I don't even know who Dow Jones is. And he laughed. Before we go any further, I don't know that we should do that. But I mean, at least you were honest. You know, a lot of people accept roles that they're not qualified for because they've lied on their resumes. Right. And he said to me, You're perfect. We want you green. You are going to be a guinea pig. You have secretarial experience along with business experience, but we want to train you the way we want you. We don't want people from another firm that tell us how to do our job. We want to train you inside and out of every different position here in the office so that when you become a sales assistant, you're familiar with everything. And it was such an opportunity because I spent over a month going from desk to desk with different sales assistants. I learned from brokers, about stocks and bonds and mutual funds and annuities and life insurance. And it was amazing. It was a lot of information. I also sat in the operations department where we were taking in stock certificates. We were cutting checks. We were moving money. I was entering orders. So it was really a great training program for me. And when I came out of that, I was pretty good as a sales assistant, let's put it that way, and always strive to be the best. That's great. So that opportunity just fell into your lap. Yeah. I literally thought I was going to be a secretary for some guy and, you know, quit and have kids someday and all that. But I always tried to do more. And anything that was asked of me, I wanted to learn and do and learn and do. And it just kind of evolved from there, starting that small as a sales assistant. So two things to take away from what you've shared with us thus far. Mm-hmm. Don't be so quick to say you can't do something if it's, if it's offered to you. Don't lie about what you can do. True. But if they offer it to you and they know and you've been honest about your 
background, qualifications, education, and experience, mm-hmm. they may see something that you don't see. Exactly. They were really great with me and I was supported by other sales assistants in the office. And I worked for two brokers at that time, one of which I really enjoyed working with. And he was the kind of guy who, you know, didn't work a lot of hours. You know, he'd come in, he'd do some business and he'd be gone. And clients would call. I'd have to answer questions. They'd want to know why the market's going down, why the bonds are going down, you know, that kind of thing. And I really felt like I needed to know what I was talking about. So I had gone back to school basically with the Securities Training Corp in Manhattan, took courses, got licensed my Series 7, which is a brokerage license, because then I was able to enter orders. And at least I understood what I was talking about, you know? Sure. So every opportunity to work for somebody else taught me something else. Like I wanted to get, I moved to a Manhattan office with him in the early 90s and I had to get registered Series 63, which is a license to be able to do business in any of the states. Since I was only in New Jersey before, I didn't need this license. So when I went to Manhattan with him, it was like, oh, you got to get a license. You can't talk to anybody. So I had like one week to prepare for a a test, which was scary enough, (laughs) but I had to take that license. And then, you know, what happened throughout my career is basically working with different people, learning different products, I had to take different tests. So one broker I worked for did commodities. So I had to go take the commodities exam. And that was really interesting stuff dealing with oil and gold and wheat and heifers, actual cows, you know, people trade these things. It was amazing to me. I couldn't believe it. So I got my series three and then, um, you know, I was working in the city. It was a long ride. I had got married by then, um, was done commuting. So I went back to New Jersey to work for different brokers And it was a great opportunity being back. I was with Merrill Lynch at this time, and they were really great about, you know, promoting, so to speak. So that kind of leads into how I became working at Merrill Lynch. I worked for the manager and a couple other brokers. I became the office manager. I helped run operations, which was the check deposits and stock deposits and entering orders which I had that training right from the beginning. So it was an easy move for me. And I did that for a few years. And then I guess it was 1994. I had my daughter by this point and I was realizing how hard I was working and the brokers seemed to be coming and going as they pleased and playing golf and going to luncheons. And I thought, wow, I think I could do this. I knew everything they knew. I studied all the different products. I took tests and all the different products. And when I went to my manager, he said, yeah, we got to start hiring women. (laughs) (laughs) So you're lucky. (laughs) Right place, right time. Yes, exactly. And with that, Merrill Lynch put me through a two-year training that they put all brokers through, which was really fabulous. I mean, they taught me how to do financial plans and what to look for and 
how to predict college costs and predict retirement costs. And, you know, it was just an amazing training for two years. And you're also trying to build accounts during that time. So it was really great. That's basically when I became a broker, per se. And I worked there until 2001. And then I went to UBS, Payne Weber. And then I went to Capital Securities, which was an independent brokerage firm, which for the first time, I work for an independent brokerage firm. It's much different than what they call the wirehouse. You know, Merrill Lynch was a wirehouse. And they would let you do whatever products you wanted to do. So I learned more about non-traded REITs, which are, you know, private, let's say a shopping malls, all shopping malls, and they're private. You can actually invest in that. So I learned about those and, you know, I actually learned a lot more products than I knew before. So it was really a nice experience for me. Well, see, that's the second tip you've given people. Mm -hmm. Do more, learn Learn more, more. acquire more skills, acquire more information, right? acquire more certifications, more licenses. Exactly. It makes you more marketable. It makes you better able to do more. Right. The more you know, the more you can do. Exactly. The more you can do, the more you can earn. Right. What I always felt was your first job isn't your last job. And if you like your job, you can turn it into a career, which is what I ended up doing. Now, I always felt that I only went to a two-year college, so I had to do the long road. I do think that if you went to school for four years, you might get a little easier time of it than I did. But Every part of my journey was great, you know, learning and going through different investments with brokers and dealing with clients and understanding the markets. It was all really great, very educational, very exciting. And I've enjoyed my career. Well, is a four-year college required now? Yes, it is required now. To people who have an associate's degree, they would only have to do two more years. That's right. And I guess it would be a different story if you were already a broker moving. I don't think that matters. But if you're coming into a program with a brokerage firm, you would probably need the four-year degree and they'd look for that and you would get paid more starting off. Yeah. You know, so that was another thing for me, a barrier being a woman and only had two years education and, you know, I had to really work hard. (laughs) but But you had skills. Yes, absolutely. You had skills. Mm-hmm. You know, my father told me when I was growing up, when I was in high school, he says, you need to learn how to type because you might need it. And I right. said, I told him, I said, no, I won't need it. I'll have my own secretary. He <laughs> says, there you go again. You don't listen. But you know, I did listen to him and I did take a typing course and I got an A in it, but I can't type, you know, touch typing. I can't do that. I know where I have to look at this keyboard. I could type fast and now I don't have to because I'm. it's like cut and paste, cut and paste. <laughs> That's great. And you could voice talk too, voice type. Oh, well, see, I never tried that. Oh, I think it's great. Microsoft was like a godsend for me because I really couldn't type. And then after a while, employers didn't have, they didn't hire admins for people. You right. had to, your own typing. Yes. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Yeah. 
it was fine for me because I could type it and then I could edit it as I typed. And then I'd walk away from it for a day or so, come back, and then I'd edit it again. And it was better. By the time I finished, it was much better. (laughs) But my father was right. I should have learned how to type correctly, but it worked out. So what made you think that it, what was so interesting about the investment fields? What made you feel that that was something that you wanted to do long term? Well, I've always been a saver. I've always helped people financially, basically. My parents were very poor when I was young and they got themselves in credit card debt is kind of how it started. And I was like, you can't live like this. This can't be. So I was only 18 years old. I contacted their credit card companies. I organized an arrangement. I didn't even know you could do that. And Wait, Ed, you didn't know you could do that? There was something just instinctively told you you had to help your parents? Well, they were struggling. And I thought, I don't understand what's happening here. My mother was writing out checks months in advance. And then when she had money in the account, she'd mail a couple. And I said, what What are you doing here? Why are you writing out checks with no money in the account? She's like, well, eventually there'll be money and eventually these are due. So I was like, this is not good. They were fighting. It was terrible. I said, I'm taking this. So I just took it over and started calling the credit card companies, which didn't want to speak to me, obviously. And I got my parents' approval to discuss it. And I was like, they can't afford this. You know, the interest rates at the time were probably close to 30%. So no matter what you were paying, maybe even more, I don't know, but it was, they were paying so much money. And I thought, this is crazy. They bought something a year ago, a toaster, and they're paying thousands of dollars for it now because they didn't have the cash at the time. So I actually spoke to all these credit card companies and negotiated payments for them. And I was like, wait, we can do that? And they said, yeah, I mean, you know, if they're struggling, they cut the interest rate, they gave us a fixed payment, they closed the card, and I was able to get my parents out of debt. Wow. And I've always been, oh, I've been working since I'm 10. I walked dogs, I delivered papers, I babysat, and I saved to buy a car when I was 17. But I started at 10. So... I just understood money. I understood the worth of it. And when I started working in a brokerage firm, just listening to the brokers talk, we didn't have CNBC then. You didn't have E-Trade or internet or anything. So these guys were gurus, you know? Yes. Very exciting stuff. And what brought it to me as interesting was I knew these companies, Like Johnson and Johnson. I knew that guy, you know, I knew that company. I knew their products. I had the the powder, you know, it's just like, oh, oh, this is what these things are. You know, it was more of a personal thing at that point because I got it and I just became more interested as I went. That's really impressive. Thank you. I mean, seriously, for you to be that young and to just take charge like that, and instinctively assert yourself and protect your family. Yeah. Always been one of those people that comes to call when you need them. (laughs) Somebody needs me, I'm there. And that's 
part of the job too. And what I do, I try to direct people out of debt, try to save, build wealth, you know, provide income, depending on what you're doing. One of my first things I did when I became a broker was I ran seminars. And because I always felt that that women didn't really have an opportunity. A lot of women I knew as clients anyway, were from the generation where the man paid all the bills. And that's, you know, that's not me. I pay all the bills. I always handled all the money. But I was speaking with a lot of women like that. And I realized they didn't really know what anything was. They didn't know how much they had. They didn't know what the husband was doing with it. So I actually set out to run seminars for women only. And I used to hang posters around and I'd run it either at a library or in conference room or somewhere. And I'd say for women only, everything you want to know about stocks, but we're afraid to, or investments, but we're afraid to ask. And I got about 14, 15 women at a time come in and I'd serve coffee and they'd ask me questions like, what is a mutual fund? What is a stock? You know, and we started, that started building into seminar presentations for me. And I got a lot of interest and I opened a lot of accounts that way. Well, I was going to ask you how you get clients. And that's just one way that, I mean, you're very creative. (laughs) Yeah, you have to be, right? You have to have your in. You know, I listen to a lot of people today and, you know, people do a lot of complaining about the way things are, but they're not proactive. Right. You know, it's like they complain, but they don't do anything in furtherance of changing what they're dissatisfied with. And it's hard. I'm just amazed when I listen to you at at your young age, what did you say, 18? Yeah. I mean, to take that upon yourself to step up and step forward and tell your parents, I'm going to talk to them. And understandably, the creditors didn't want to talk to you because quite frankly, they might have been doing something illegal. Right. Those, Those interest rates sound very high. Yeah, well, it was the 80s, so they were very high as it was, interest rates. Mortgages were about 18%. We sold uh, zero-coupon bonds for 19% in the early 80s. Why? I didn't buy a bunch of them then. Uh, there's right. nothing like that now. <laughs> Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yes, exactly. Well, I would have bought Amazon or no. Apple or right. whatever, you know? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. You know, are you are you satisfied with the choices you've made about your career? Yeah. If you had to do all over again, would you do the same thing the same way? Well, I wonder about that because part of the journey was the people I met, the experience I gained. I had time for my kids when they were little. So I don't know if I would have done it different because I always felt in the back of my mind that, you know, when you see a 25-year-old stockbroker or financial advisor, you wonder like, well, what do they really know? They've never seen a down market, you know, or if they, you know, what experience could they have? And I always felt that my experience spoke for itself. So when I started, I was in my early 30s. So I felt I wasn't a kid anymore, you know, coming out of school. And just working for different brokers gave me the experience to understand different products, which, you know, I don't know that I would have known all these different products. 
Plus, being a sales assistant, what I learned from that, you know, one, you understand the core of the way the accounts are open, the questions you need to ask, what the rulings are for IRAs, how much can you put in, you know, things like that, that I've learned over the years and watched those things change. Like, I guess when I started, IRAs, I think were $1,250 was the maximum. And now it's, you know, depending on your age, 6,500 or something. So I've watched these things change over time, but yet stay the same. There's still the same rulings, you know, and that's built on my experience. So I can look at, you know, everybody's got a different situation. Who's got kids? Who doesn't? Who works full-time, who works part-time, who inherits money, who buys a house, who's sending kids to college. It's all different. Yes. And what I've learned through the experience of working for other people and watching how they do it too. You know, I've worked with some old brokers. I don't want to say old, old, but elder brokers and young brokers. And I've seen stock jockeys burn it up and burn their book, we call it, you know, where they got everybody in crazy stocks and in two years they're out of business. You know, I've seen that. And I've seen elder brokers, you know, sell good quality things and the way they explain things and they don't panic when things go crazy. So that's been really good for me, I think, and I've enjoyed it all. Well, it sounds like it's been a rewarding career. Yes. So now, have you ever thought of just picking up and moving someplace else where there might be more opportunities? Well, so, you know, my mom passed last year. And up until that time, there was, thank you, there was no way I was leaving New Jersey. But now as I get older, I think, you know what, I'm probably not going to retire at 62 or 65 or even 70. I'll probably work. But I'd like to work in a warmer climate where I can, you know, be outside by my pool working rather than, you know, in an office or, you know, that type of thing. It's it's crossed my mind. I'm not doing anything anytime soon, but it's definitely starting to cross my mind as I get older. (laughs) Well, you mentioned your daughter. You have a son. Yes. Have you thought about starting your own brokerage business and bringing them in? Well, so with my business, I kind of have the freedom of bringing in a partner, let's say. And I did want my son to work with me. I had him work not last summer, but the summer before at my firm interning. And he did a great job for me. And he's a numbers guy. And he enjoyed listening to CNBC and enjoyed watching the market. It was starting to track things. And I was hoping that was going to turn into something. He actually is really not interested right now. But my thought was to take him in as a partner where we would work together for maybe, you know, 15 years, something like that. And then I would slowly retire out and he would continue my business. Continue that sounds like a plan. Yeah. He's right now he's talking about broadcasting or plumbing or I don't know. He's a math wizard. So I thought I was really up his alley. <laughs> well, sometimes it takes them time to find their niche. Yeah. Yeah. Their sweet spot. 
Right. So maybe it, maybe it'll come. Now, I think we've all heard negative stories about Wall Street investment bankers and women being treated badly. Yes. In, in, in the industry. Is that the case? No. And is the case, has that changed? It was the case. I totally agree with that. I believe that there was that big boy network, we used to call it, where if you weren't one of the guys, you weren't really getting ahead. But I find now that that's not the case. And I find that more and more firms are promoting women because one, I think people trust women. You know, we are... I don't know if you want to say motherly in a way where we want to take care, we want to do the best, we want to, you know, help, that kind of thing. So I think that management has leaned more towards women. When I first went to the training program, there was 10% women in the training program. That was a little funny for me. That was a lot, wasn't it? No, I didn't think it was a lot. It was somewhere around. And and by the end, okay, so in the beginning of the training, there was 10%. By the end, it was less than one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do you have a sense of why they left? Did they leave because it was too difficult? They were not treated the way they felt that they should be treated or they just didn't want to do it anymore? I don't know because I didn't know many of them. We only met every three months. I don't really know why most of them, but I do know that there were goals you had to reach to be able to go to the training sessions. Uh, And they probably didn't meet the goals or decided against continuing. It happens a lot when you get a an early broker. They think that this is what they want to do and maybe it isn't what they want to do. And you get a bad market and a lot of people jump. And I've seen that happen throughout my career. I've seen brokers, you know, after 9-11, brokers quit. They were like, I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. People are building houses. I used to be a plumber. I'm going to go be a plumber. I'm going to be an electrician. And, you know, a lot of accounts I got were from brokers who quit the business, you know, just by still standing, I called it. (laughs) But you have to change when something like that happens. You have to find products that'll work in these bad markets. You have to try to promote yourself anyway and hold hands in bad times and encourage and keep people on point. Is there anything else that you haven't shared that you'd like to share with our listeners? Is there something that you want to leave them with? A kernel of of knowledge and information, a tip from Anne. The one tip I'd give people, and I try to tell my kids this, do what you love. And you never work a day in your life. See, I love money. I love investing it. I love saving it. I love spending it. I love having goals to look forward to. So that was something for me. And I enjoy working with people. That's the other thing. I have to be around people. I have to talk to people. I can't sit in front of a computer and just enter codes or whatever IT does. I need to speak with people and I like to help people. And if that's something you like doing, you know, you want to do it all the way, so to speak. You want to put your best effort in, try not to put your goals before someone else's, 
And you will find that you can be very successful just from helping people from the heart. And you'll be happier. And you're happier. I sleep well at night. Yes. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. What I do, do what I do. This, this podcast makes me happy. Mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. I'm making a contribution. I feel like people who may not have a job or who may be looking for a job because they don't like the job they have or they're not sure that the job they have is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I want to help them by giving them information that they can use to help them right. move forward so they don't get stuck because it's easy to get stuck. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, so many jobs have been created that never existed. Yes. They never, who was going to be a fireman or a policeman or a housewife? When I was young, there weren't a lot of choices. But now I look around and I say, you do what? What is that exactly? And you could create your own career and something you enjoy doing, but it takes work and you have to not be too hard on yourself. You know, you're going to have your bad days and you're going to have your great days, but all in all, in 37 years, I could count on two hands how many really bad days I've had. Because I like talking to people and I like, you know, watching the excitement and all that. No, I absolutely understand. And one of the things that I want people to take away from everything you said is how committed you are to doing what you do and how much time and effort you put into doing it well. Because having a passion and following your passion is not enough. If you do not put forth the effort that it takes to do it well, and depending on who you're doing it for or who employs you, he or she may have a different idea of how much time you should put in to doing. So like you said, you did more, you did more, you work, you did more than you were required to do. That's right. I would take home things at night and read different procedures and tax laws and all sorts of crazy stuff. Not a lot of fun, but I did it because I had to know the right answer. That was always, you know, in the back of my mind, don't give a wrong answer because it could come back and haunt you. So make sure you know the answer, whoever you got to call. And I'm one of those that I'll call anybody. I'll call the IRS. I'll call anybody to try to find out what is exactly the reason. Now you have Google, which helps a lot. It's a much faster, but there are some things that aren't, you know, that I find that I have to call directly and find out. And I just always wanted to give the right answer. You know, I had a broker once, he asked me a question and I gave him the answer and it was something I knew very well. And then I heard him go to another girl and ask her the same question. Yeah. And the thing was, he didn't get the answer he wanted. Well, you don't want to mess with an Italian girl sometimes. So I went like, did you just ask her the same question you asked me? And he looked at me like, yeah. I go, why? He said, because I don't think you're right. And I was like, okay, I'm going to call and I'm going to confirm it. And you're going to listen. Because I don't give an answer I don't know the answer to. I say, let me check it. Because there's nothing wrong with saying, let me get back to you on that. Exactly. Yeah. You can't know everything, you know, but I want to make sure I always gave the right 
answer. But some people can't say they don't know or that let me get back to you. They want to they want to act like they know it all. Yeah, that's like, you know, I don't have a problem saying I don't know. Let me yeah. check. Yeah, I'll get back to you. You know, even when I teach courses, you know, it's like I tell at the beginning of the class, the first meeting, okay, I don't know everything there is to know. If you ask me a question and I I don't have the answer, I'll make every effort to get an answer for you. Exactly. And people respect that because they know you're not feeding them a line. You know what I mean? That you're going to find out the real answer. Exactly. But everybody can't do that. It's a matter of pride for some people. I don't, hey, look, I don't need to know everything. Right. I love the internet. (laughs) I don't have to go to the library if I don't want to. Right. It's wonderful. It is. It's amazing, really. It It is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Well, Anne, I have so enjoyed our time together. And it's just, I think you've given people a lot to think about. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time. It's been, um, you know, many of my podcast interviews have been with people I may not know well, but, you know, I know them. Some I know better than others, obviously. But I have learned so much myself from listening to my guests. Yeah. You know, I didn't know what I didn't know about them, what I didn't know about their journey. I've gotten tips myself that I would use for my personal use. Why not? Right. Sounds like it would work. Exactly. It worked for me. But no, seriously, it's been not only a rewarding experience, it's been eye-opening. But what I'd like people to take away from me is this. You have to be flexible. You have to be receptive to hearing things that you may not want to hear and doing things that you may not think you should have to do because success doesn't come to you on a silver platter. That's true. It takes work. work. It takes commitment. It takes sacrifice. And if you're not prepared to do that, then you can get a job making whatever and don't expect to move forward. Right. And some people are very happy with that. That's that's okay. That's that's fine. That's fine. But if you want if you want a rewarding, gratifying employment experience, it may take more than you're willing to give. Right. And that's something that's a decision you have to make and make it honestly. Don't lie to yourself. Right. That's true. And it takes it takes time and effort on your part. And, you know, depending on how much you want something is how much you're going to work for it, I guess. Well, it depends on the person. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people want, you know, the trappings of success. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, they see it on television. You know, it's yeah. like, why shouldn't I have that? Because you haven't worked for it. Right. And I do think, you know, I see it with my own kids that my daughter got out of school and she took film courses. And the first thing she said was, I'm just going to make movies. And I'm like, well, uh, maybe um, you should work for a TV station and you're probably going to have to bring them coffee. And she said, no, I'm not doing that. So she's trying to do her own Instagram thing and build a brand that way. I hope it works. Maybe it'll work. Yeah. She's devoted to it. She spends a lot of time on it. Steven Spielberg started at the bottom. Right. You know, you, you, if you 
it's the industry. But, you know, with, with all of these different platforms, these streaming platforms, there are opportunities there. Yeah. And maybe she'll strike gold. You never know. Yeah, I don't I don't understand it myself. So I just say, good luck. I hope you're successful. I mean, I really do. I don't know how she gets paid, but <laughs> in time, maybe. It's their world. We just live in it. That's right. That's right. Exactly. But, Anne, thank you so much, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support, and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at B.A. Williams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.